This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, it's October 19th, 2023. I'm Dave Rubin. This is The Rubin Report. We're live streaming in all the usual spots. If you're watching this, I hope you know what you're doing. Uh, we're doing something a little different today because joining me right now, I'm not calling him a guest. I'm going to call him a co-host for the next 45 minutes or so is an old friend who I cannot believe it, my guys just told me, has not been on the show since July of 21, so over two years ago, which is just nuts. Uh, ben Shapiro, a man who needs no introduction, welcome to the Rubin Report. Uh, thanks for having me. Ben, uh, I wish we were talking under better circumstances. Obviously, we chat now and again about world events offline. Um, but before we dive into any of the craziness, the insurrection yesterday, the lies of the New York Times and MSNBC, and we can obviously talk about some of just sort of the general demon-like barbarity and all, all of that. I guess, man, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know, people have been asking me that for the last couple of weeks, and, and my usual answer is irrelevant question. I mean, everybody's doing horrible. I mean, that, that's the answer. I mean, we have lots of friends and family in a harm's way. Many of our friends and family in Israel have spent the last two weeks doing nothing but shiva calls. Uh, people who have been trying to raise resources for new orphans, new widows, uh, people who have been sifting through the actual wreckage at, at many of these sites around the Gaza envelope where they're still finding bits of bone from children. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's been an, an incredibly difficult time for, for everybody. You know, we're, we're lucky in the sense that, you know, we're safe and our kids are fine. Um, but the fact is that even the upsurge in, in sort of open-faced anti-Semitism around the world is, is pretty threatening to, to pretty much everybody that I know and interact with. And uh, it's, it's been disturbing, to say the least. I, I did not think this is something I would see in my lifetime. It's certainly not something my parents thought that they would see within their lifetime. It's the worst attack on Jews uh, since, since the Holocaust. And the response has been... Pretty, um, I, I think it's been a pretty good rebuttal to the idea of never again. There, there are a lot of people who, when they say never again, really what they mean is, uh, is sure again, just as long as I can avoid culpability. So, how do you gauge how much actual hate there is? Because my general feeling, and it's hard to quantify this, obviously, is that actually most of America, most of the Western world, most of civilized people, they stand with Israel. They want Jews to be equal citizens in their countries, like all of the things that that America has been about. Yet there is this ridiculously vocal minority. It it comes from something we used to call the regressive left years ago, and it's born out of the woke stuff. And now we have the Hamas caucus and all that, and they're loud and. We're we're going to show some video of what they were up to yesterday, but I don't think it represents most people, but it does, it, that's not to diminish the threat and the institutional power that it has, but how do you gauge that versus just the, the average person who's confused about the issues or refuses to take a stand, that kind of thing? I mean, I think that really there, there's sort of four categories here. So category one is the Hamas caucus and its followers, and that is a, a small but incredibly vocal minority disproportionately represented in certain places in the United States, like Dearborn, Michigan, obviously, where yeah. they had mass rallies in favor of Hamas. Category two is people who just don't know anything uh, and, uh, and, and really don't follow this sort of stuff. And so they just tend to believe whatever the media tells them. And the easiest off-ramp for them is cycle of violence, don't know what's happening, is an intractable conflict, will remain an intractable conflict, don't care, hands up, whatever. Uh, that, that's group number two. I would say that that group is 
you know, moderately sized because a lot of Americans don't follow international affairs all that much. Group three is, are people who are innately sympathetic to the state of Israel and its fight against Islamic terrorism, but who are questionable in whether they will actually allow Israel to do what it needs to do to defend itself. Uh, and that is a larger group. I, I would say that, that that group is, again, a lot of Democrats who are, are showing right now that they're pro-Israel, but the question is for how long? Uh, until until what? Until, until Israel actually has to take the sorts of actions that do result in more death in the Gaza Strip, until Israel has to bomb the tunnel systems that are being shielded with civilians. And so for mm -hmm. how long is the question for that group? And then there's the fourth group, which is, I think, still the largest group in the United States. It's certainly the largest group in the Republican Party. And that group are people who say, yeah, Israel is fighting an existential evil terrorist force, and it needs that, that Israel should be given full leeway to do whatever it needs to do to rid the world of these pieces of, of human debris. So, you know, if I had to break those down percentage-wise, I would say that like the, the number of people who are in the full pro-Hamas camp is somewhere between five and ten percent of the American mm -hmm. population. The group of people who are in the full pro-Israel camp is probably thirty-five percent of the American population. So that's forty-five percent together. So now we have to split up the other fifty-five percent between the people who just don't know and the people who know but are kind of wishy-washy. I would say that the people who just don't know of that fifty-five percent is probably twenty-five percent. People who just don't know enough, don't care enough, don't don't want to pay attention to it. And thirty percent are in the sort of wavering category pro-Israel but could fall off the wagon in any moment, which means that if my stats are correct, and this is kind of what the, the stats are showing right now, basically two thirds of the American population is pro-Israel, but maybe 40% of that is kind of waveringly pro-Israel in the sense that the minute that Israel starts to take the measures it has to take, which are inevitably going to be ugly and are going to cause loss of life, you could see uh, a serious movement groundswell begin against Israel doing the things needed to, to actually rid the world of Hamas. Sure. You know, interestingly, I don't find those numbers that depressing, actually, because you're, what you're basically saying is there's a chunk of people who either don't know or kind of on the fence. And I think if they see more of the barbarity, if they hear more of the statements and they see the craziness uh, and we also tell them the truth, which is what I'm desperately trying to do on this show. I know you're out there doing it and many other people that that hopefully they'll wake up. Why do you think that no other country on Earth is subjected to these ridiculous rules that Israel is subjected to. So as you said, this is the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust. I mean, the things are just the burned babies, the raped women, all, all of the stuff. Um, and yet only Israel gets like a 48 hour window on what they can do and the amount of people who immediately turn on them and everything else. Is that Does that also go back to the fundamental misunderstanding of the land, the connection of Jews to this place and, and all of that? So I think there are a bunch of reasons for it. I think, number one, obviously, there's a, a really thorough undercurrent of anti-Semitism to the idea that the Jews don't have the ability or the power or shouldn't have the ability or power to defend themselves from monstrous, Jew-hating, genocidal terrorists. Like that, that is pretty obvious. If at this point you are sympathetic to Hamas or to the pro-Palestine movement, which seems unable to dissociate from Hamas, then I think it's pretty clear where that is coming from. So that mm -hmm. is definitely an undercurrent. The fact that Israel is held to a standard that no other country is held to is absolutely insane. And so, yeah, obviously, there's an anti-Semitic undercurrent. There's also a, a very strong overcurrent, I would say, it's pretty obvious, of just denialism. People who don't want to believe what is in front of their eyes. And so what they've done is they've created uh, a construction in their mind where Hamas, Palestinian Authority, Islamic Jihad, most people that are actually Western liberals like us, like underneath, they're actually Western liberals who just want material prosperity and they want good lives for their kids. And the way that we define a good life for our kids, individual rights and freedoms, this is the sort of George W. Bush 2004 UN speech where every human heart yearns to be free and all this mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so they look at this and they say, oh, okay, well, but that's probably a minority. It's probably like a small group of people. And so if Israel is just, if they make a few more concessions, if they're a little nicer, if, if Israel doesn't, doesn't actually hit civilians 
in an attempt to, to hit military targets or anything, then maybe everything will be okay. And that's a comforting myth that a lot of people believe. It's also a comforting myth because that, that we can afford in the West because, frankly, the West is not located directly in the middle of the Islamic world. Mm -hmm. I mean, Israel is, is surrounded mm -hmm. on all sides by countries with populations that are genocidally Jew-hating. I mean, there's, there's just no question about that. By every available poll, that is the case. It may not be politically correct to point out that the Palestinian population, not just the leadership, the Palestinian population hates Jews, but that happens to be the reality, which is why there are giant red signs off the side of the road in Israel that say, if you drive into this Palestinian city, you may be killed. I mean, that's literally giant road signs like you would to get off a freeway that are on the side of the roads in Hebrew and English and Arabic to Jews saying, do not go off this road into this Palestinian area. We can't guarantee your life. Certainly right. if a Palestinian mistakenly drives into Israel, they just have a nice day on Mamilla or whatever. But if, if, a, if a Jew drives into Ramallah, very good shot that Jew isn't coming out again. Everybody knows this. This is not any sort of secret. But in the West, because we don't live cheek and jowl with radical fundamentalist populations, it's easy for us to, to just imagine a world in which, well, you know, if we lived next to them, they'd probably be nice people. I mean, they're just mm -hmm. people just like us. Again, that, that is the, the conceit of Western civilization. It's, it's a, Western civilization is unique. And us pretending that Western civilization actually speaks for the entire world, that everybody has our mindset, incredibly dangerous stuff. You're seeing it materialize, by the way, in mass migration from a lot of these radical fundamentalist countries into the West, which is why you're seeing 50,000 people on the streets of London chanting in favor of Hamas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So how do you think we extricate ourselves from that mistaken thinking? Because it seems like that, that is the basic Western position. Again, I'm not calling anyone a racist or a hater or an anti-Semite or anything else, that, but basically we have had it so good in the West for so long, we cannot imagine what it would be like to have people, thankfully can't imagine what it would be like to have people run into our house and kill our children and rape our women or have, I think, 7,000 rockets, which are still being fired at this very moment. Like, how do we how do we sort of shift the thinking so that people can realize, boy, not everybody is kind of as nice as us. And if you're just nice to them, they're going to be nice to you. I think the only thing you can do is show the images. So it's one of the reasons why I've been showing actual pictures and footage of the atrocities, because what that says to people is these people are not like you and they're not. You know, what, what would it take for you to go into a random civilian's home and burn their baby in their crib? And the answer is literally nothing on earth would make you do that yeah. because you're a Westerner. But that is not the case, obviously, with Hamas terrorists. By the way, it's not the case with some of the Hamas-associated uh, Hamas civilians. I mean, one of, the, one of the more shocking things that's been coming out in recent days is how many civilians from Gaza who are not yeah. open Hamas members actually flooded into these Jewish areas and participated in the rape and the murder and the looting. I mean, there's footage, GoPro footage from yeah, Hamas yeah, yeah, of civilians, it. like 14, 15-year-old kids who are running in and doing this sort of stuff. And again, that comes from a deep well of anti-Semitism that has been indoctrinated in kids for generations in these areas. And again, the West has, has wanted to ignore, while, by the way, funding those same institutions, the, Un the United Nations RWA, the, uh, the UNRWA, which is the refugee association yep. that's basically designed for the Palestinians, their schools teach Jew hatred, genocidal Jew hatred, and that's funded by the United States. I mean, again, we have a fundamental disconnect in the West. The only way to, to disabuse ourselves of that is to come face to face with it. We're lucky in the United States. We haven't had to come face to face with that. We're very far away from this region of the world, thank God. 
Uh, it, the same thing is true in, in Europe, although Europe is, is starting to face up to it a little bit more because of the large radical Islamic fundamentalist population that, that is in places like London, 15% of London is Muslim. Mm -hmm. A huge percentage of that are people who are, who are Jew haters. You know, pe people are beginning to see that in some of these areas. Um, but you know, again, the only way is just to remind people over and over and over again. For a brief moment in time, the American people tend to realize these things. After 9-11, the American people realized, hold up a second, you mean there are people out there who don't think like us? And then the media jumped in and said, we can never show these images again. You remember this. After 9-11, mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. we, we, it's, it's too damaging to the psyche. It's too traumatic. We can't see the images of the man jumping from the 88th story of the World Trade Center because it might incite Islamophobia. It might, it might make people more angry. It might make, make people think of, of you know, terrorists as the other. Terrorists are the other. Okay, There are very few people in humanity who are the other. People are not the other based on race, but people can certainly be the other based on you know support for genocidal Jew hatred. Do you know, do you remember this, that after 9-11, there was an episode of The Simpsons where they went to New York City and Homer runs up both Twin Towers, it's obviously before 9-11, and then they took it out of syndication because they just didn't want people thinking about it? Like, that's the level of sort of the cultural rot that we have, that we've removed comedies in the name of whatever it is, multiculturalism or, or whatever else. I want to ask you one other kind of blue sky thing, and then we can dive into what's gone on the last couple of days. Do you think in a weird way, you know, there's been, I don't know, probably 20, 40, 50 of us publicly uh, doing kind of what we do that have been screaming about identity politics, talking about this intersectional calculator and how it pushes Jews out because Jews are a minority that generally has been oppressed and, and pogromed and holocausted across the world, but is now thought of as successful. Do you think in a weird way we all failed because we then watched wokeism infect all our institutions, get the Hamas caucus elected, uh, lead to not knowing whether boys or girls and, and not knowing whether borders should exist. Like the whole damn thing that a bunch of us were talking about and warning about and were called alt-right for. Yesterday on my show, I showed that front page article from the New York Times. You remember it well, where they called us leaders of the alt-right uh, years ago. Um, do you think in a weird way we, we failed or, or was this obviously going to happen? Not the barbarity specifically, but the, the sort of point that we're at societally. I mean, I, I think that we, we failed in the sense that obviously we didn't prevent what, what happened and we, we haven't prevented the spread of the sick ideology, the intersectional ideology that is making excuses for Hamas right now, because that's really what it is. The, the Karen Atia, well, this is what decolonization looks like. The BLM support for, for, the, for, for Hamas. Now, mm -hmm. all of that is, is part of a piece. And, and some of us have been screaming at the top of our lungs about this for literally our entire careers. I mean, I was yeah. writing columns back in 2004, 2005, 2006, when I was like 20 years old, about the threat that Hamas posed and the, the differences in, in culture and the educational system in these areas. And then as soon as woke reared its ugly head, which really began after the election of Barack Obama in, 2000, in 2008, the, the, the sort of woke movement really began in earnest in maybe 2010, 2011, and certainly in the run-up to the 2012 election, many of us were screaming about that, saying that this entire ideology, which basically says that there is a group of dispossessed peoples who can form a coalition together against the white overlord, and that that group of dispossessed peoples unites all of the marginalized, right? It's the Palestinians on the one hand, but it's black people in the inner cities on the other. It's LGBTQ people on the one hand, and it's Democratic Socialists of America on the other. And they're all part of one big group to tear down the institutions, never mind the fact that if ever the Hamasniks got the LGBTQs <laughs> alone in a room, it would end with blood, obviously. It, gays none, none for Palestine is very different than Palestine for gays. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, that, but that, none of that mattered. And I, and I think that you're seeing the wages of that today. You know, again, it, it's, it feels like the, the gaslighting is so strong at this point that, it, that it's absolutely maddening 
Um, and some people are, are waking up to it. You know, I have liberal Jewish friends who are suddenly waking up to the fact that they're not part of the intersectional coalition. They spent years denying that they weren't part of it. Oh, well, you know, they're just anti-Zionist. They're not anti-Semite. Oh, well, you know, sure, BLM is saying that it's in favor of Palestine, but they don't mean they're against Jews. They're just, they're just intersectional peoples. And, and now they're realizing that, well, you know, too little, too late. I'm glad that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I'd, be, I'd be gladder if you guys would, would recognize uh, who, who are the people who actually hate you. But yes, I mean, in, in terms of has the West lost? I mean, there's no such thing as a permanent victory. And so I I think that this can be the beginning of a Western realization. This can be the beginning of the West getting truly awakened, woke in the the, the proper sense, uh, where where the West realizes that its civilization is under threat. That happens once apparently every 20 years or so. People wake up briefly and then they go right back to sleep. And we can only hope that this time, uh, that this horror show can, can reawaken people to some extent. Ben, I know I don't have to tell you this of all people, but you know that the uh, the phone does not ring and you don't get the apology from the people that are waking up. But I guess having them wake up in and of itself, I was I went to get guns the other day, a couple more guns actually, and the the owner, first off, basically everyone in the store was, was Jewish and talking about what was going on. And the guy said to me, we're selling more guns right now than, than we ever have except for the first week of COVID. So so I guess that, would would you at least consider that a degree of a silver lining that Maybe some people are, are kind yeah, of coming people are around waking up. I mean, that's particularly true, again, in the Jewish community. Uh, everybody that I personally know in the Jewish community is, is seeking to buy a gun, seeking to increase their protection. And I think that's a good thing for all law-abiding Americans to do regardless uh, mm-hmm. of race or religion. But certainly Jewish Americans feel threatened, and they should feel threatened, by a movement that has allies in very, very high places. I mean, as you were mentioning earlier, there is an actual Hamas caucus in the United States Congress, and they're given cover by a media that lies on behalf of Hamas. It's incredible. All right. Well, that's a perfect segue to what's gone on for the last couple of days. So yes, there was an insurrection yesterday. I have no problem calling it an insurrection because uh, that's what they've called everything that anyone who they don't like uh, does. Uh, Here is video of the DC Capitol yesterday. So there's obviously way more video. There's plenty of people being arrested and everything else. But in essence, they stormed the Capitol. I see virtually no difference between this and January 6th or anything else. We do know that the one difference will be how they treat these people. Um, Ben, before we get into the Hamas caucus specifically and and Rashida, uh, uh, who I think think has taken over from AOC as the the lead general on that thing, are are you amazed how quickly they flipped BLM into a pro-Hamas movement? I mean, it seems like they just have a switch and when they want to turn on these clone soldiers, they can just send them out and they'll do whatever they want. Well, again, that's the beauty of the intersectional coalition. I mean, why, why would you possibly think that BLM would suddenly flip in favor of Hamas? And the answer is because there's a back scratching deal. If you support our cause, we'll support your cause. Our mm-hmm. cause is really all the same, which is hatred of the West. I mean, that, that's really what all this comes down to. Israel is just an emissary of the West in this particular viewpoint. It's, it's, it's not even that Israel is a place of particular hatred. It's sort of the tip of the spear. It's the canary in the coal mine, as people like to say. But but it's it's not as though they hate Israel sort of only, that, that Israel is the only point of contention. Israel is just the most convenient point of contention and the place where they can also build the largest coalition because, again, Israel is Jewish, and there are a lot of people who really, really hate Jews. There's only one state on earth where people 
actually require it to consistently explain its own existence. That is the state of Israel. Uh, it's the only place on earth where, where people demand justification for why there's a Jewish state. There are 55 Islamic states. No one has ever asked why Pakistan an Islamic state or, or Afghanistan or Iran or Iraq or any of these other, any of the mm-hmm. other countries. So they're, they're picking a convenient point of, uh, of, of sort of coalition and, and coalescing. Uh, but yes, I mean, it, it, flips, it flips purposes. It goes directly from rallies about trans women are women to this in like a heartbeat. And it's, and it's amazing. It's the exact same people. They just, they just take off their T-shirt, put on a new T-shirt, and then, and then go to the Capitol building and make trouble like this. So yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's the entire coalitional deal. Again, not a shock. It's why that Harvard student letter that had 33 organizations on it, including things like the Pan, Pan-Asian American <laughs> Coalition. It, why do you think they're on there? You think they care about this? They don't care about this, but they're part of the same coalition. Yeah, it's so psychotic. It's like psychotic and also obvious, which is a weird combination, I suppose. But now, since we've mentioned her once or twice, Rashida Tlaib, Congresswoman from Michigan, who is from Dearborn, Michigan, which basically, I mean, they held, I think, I have no problem saying, in essence, it was a modern day Nazi rally last week. I mean, it was absolutely insane. No one is making the distinction. There was not one person there who made the distinction between the Palestinian flag and the actions of Hamas. Not one person. I mean, can you imagine one guy raising his hand and being like, guys, actually, Hamas went a little too far. They, they would love to take him out, too. Anyway, here she is yesterday uh, inciting the insurrection and also lying about the uh, the bombing of the hospital, which we'll get to in a moment. Continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital with children. You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and, and the people telling the kids don't cry and like let them cry. And they're shaking and some of you know this, they keep telling them not to cry. Ben, uh, did she pump out any of those crocodile tears for the babies that were burned or the women that were raped or the Holocaust survivors that are now kidnapped or the, I don't know, say 20 plus American hostages? I could go on. By the way, she she doesn't even pump out those tears for Palestinian civilians who are killed. The the reason that you know this is because she's still telling the lie that Israel bombed the hospital. So, for example, it's it's kind of an an obvious point, but one that, that is pretty amazing when you think about it. So for a hot second, Hamas puts out propaganda that Israel has bombed a hospital, killing 500 people in the Gaza Strip. And that is implausible from the start if it were to be a deliberate bombing, specifically Mm -hmm. because Israel, for example, has not blown up the Al-Shifa hospital, which everyone knows, literally everyone knows, sits on top of the Hamas military headquarters and has for a decade. Everyone knows this. Al-Shifa is still standing because Israel does not wish to kill hundreds of civilians. Israel is doing its utmost, I mean, really its utmost, not to kill civilians. The, the truth is that if Israel were doing everything it militarily had to do right now, there'd be a lot more civilians dead, not just because they'd be bombing buildings, but because the tunnels are where the Hamas fighters are hiding, and they are all hiding under civilian areas. Israel knows this. They're not using their heavy ordnance on those tunnels specifically because Hamas is shielding those tunnels with civilians. In any case, well, well, just real quick, wait, wait, just pause for one second, because the truth, I, I think it's a point worth uh, reiterating, because the truth is they could end this in, in three days, basically, if they wanted. If they wanted to do the unimaginable, 
to defend their citizens. They could end this basically in three days if they wanted to do all of the things that yeah, you're making a point of saying that they're not doing. They have the munitions yeah. to do it. If Israel wanted to destroy every single tunnel, not even knowing where they're mapped, if they wanted to destroy all this tunnel and bury the Hamas terrorists under rubble, they could do that. It would take an awful lot of civilian casualties, which is why they're not doing it, and also why Hamas is hiding civilians atop their tunnels. That's literally the reason. Hamas is, by, by its own behavior, is admitting that Israel seeks to avoid civilian casualties. That's, that, that's why they put the civilians there. If they, if they thought that mm -hmm. Israel was just out to kill civilians, it wouldn't matter where the civilians are. They'd be trying to save their own civilians by separating their military fighters from the civilians. They're doing the opposite. So the, the, the news goes out that, that Israel has supposedly done an airstrike on, on a hospital and 500 are dead. It goes out within like five minutes. They've got the dead counted. Never mind that Israel is still two weeks later trying to figure out precisely how many people are dead yep. in the October 7th massacres. Hamas knew within five minutes. The entire world media pumps this out. They, they all pump it out. And it's all atrocities. Look what Israel did. And then it turns out the New York Times runs a full front page photo of the wrong building, of a different building, suggesting that that was the hospital that was blown up. And then it turns yep. out that it was a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket that fell short because like 10 percent of the rockets that are fired fall into Gaza because they don't give it any bleeps about their own citizens, obviously. And um, and it hit a it didn't hit the hospital. It hit a parking lot next to the hospital. And the actual number of dead is probably not 500 is probably we're now finding out maybe 10 to 50. Uh, it doesn't matter. The, the, the entire world goes insane. I mean, conflagrations everywhere, things on fire, giant protests, and Rashida Tlaib out there, oh my God, the babies, oh my God, the babies. When it comes out, as it already has, that it was a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket that hit a, that, that hit, even if it had hit a hospital and killed 500 people, her move would then not be, why is Palestinian Islamic Jihad firing rockets that kill mm -hmm. civilians in Gaza? It would be, this never happened. It would be, this is not important anymore. I'm not gonna talk about this. Right? It exits the front page. The minute right. that it can't be blamed on the Jews, it exits the front page. That's how you know all this is crocodile tears. To be clear, she not only absolutely, I mean, she knows, she's repeating it yesterday after it's been debunked, it's been community noted. The New York Times, as we covered yesterday, changed their headline on it three times. Uh, you made the point that they showed a, a picture under the headline on the front page of the New York Times that was not the hospital. It hit a parking lot. But I want to show you, because you're making the point of how quickly the media just takes Hamas's word. Hamas says something, and then the media, the corporate press, just repeats it. Here's MSNBC reporting what we now know to be a complete lie. But the Palestinian health ministry is saying a hospital in Gaza City in the northern end of Gaza has taken a direct hit from an Israeli airstrike. They are saying hundreds at minimum 300 people have been killed in this strike. Now, we have not yet heard any comments about this allegation from the Israeli military, but these images that are coming out of Gaza City are absolutely harrowing. And how do we explain to people that when they say the Palestinian government or the Palestinian health ministry, they're talking specifically about Hamas. And as you laid out, they want as many dead civilians or at least the idea of dead civilians as possible. I mean, they're liars. This is the part that's astonishing. You're literally taking the word of the people who committed a genocidal massacre of Jews five minutes ago, and you're pretending that they tell you the truth on these matters. Now, we know for a fact that Hamas lies about this stuff on the routine. They do it routinely. In 2014, the New York Times admitted that Hamas, their health ministry, their so-called health ministry, lies routinely about casualty, casualty statistics. The Washington Post reported the same thing. If you are a reporter in the Gaza Strip, you're only there because Hamas is allowing you to be there. What that means is that if you don't say what Hamas wants you to say, they will either expel you or they will kill you. Everyone mm -hmm. knows this in the Gaza Strip. And yet they take at face value the, 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 the proclamations of an actual honest-to-God terror group. And then when it turns out that every element of the story is false, the ro it was a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket. It did not hit a hospital. It hit the parking lot next to the hospital doing no actual structural damage 
to the hospital itself. When every single element of the story turns out to be false, the media then say, well, you know, the story is now being contested. It's not being contested. You mm -hmm. guys blew it. And not only did you blow it, you blew it for a very particular reason, which is you were eager. You were eager for a story of an Israeli atrocity that you could use to juxtapose with what happened on October 7th so you could go right back to your moral equivalence nonsense, thereby exacerbating all conflict in the Middle East and getting more Jews and Arabs killed, by the way, because when conflict arise in the Middle East, it isn't just Jews that are getting killed. Jews mm -hmm. then have to go in and kill the bad guys, and that means that a lot of innocent people are going to die. What do you make of this farce where when she's putting out those crocodile tears that Rashida Tlaib is also immediately demanding for a ceasefire? She has not once demanded that the American hostages be released, but demanding for a ceasefire. Well, I mean, obviously, the ceasefire would be in Hamas's interest. I mean, if, if the way that this, this magic goes, that you get to murder 1,500 Jews, kidnap 200 Israelis, including Americans, and then declare a ceasefire, well, you can see exactly how that might benefit Hamas. Mm -hmm. that, that, that is why Ilhan Omar and AOC and the entire Hamas caucus have decided for a ceasefire immediately. Now, listen, in America, we all know how stupid this is. After 9-11, if somebody had said, you know what, a lot of civilians are gonna get killed, we gotta call a ceasefire with the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. We, we, we just can't. I mean, there are too many, there's gonna be some, some, too much human cost. We have to declare a ceasefire before anything else bad. Everyone would look at that person like they're absolutely out of their mind or on the side of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Well, as it turns out, Rashida Tlaib is on the side of Hamas. She's been on the side of Hamas for years. Many of her supporters are open Hamas and Hezbollah supporters. She's made no bones about this. She has called for the destruction of the state of Israel. She does not believe in a two-state solution, for example. She has called for the existence of one secular state. By secular state, she means an yeah. Arab state because obviously the minute that Israel allows for a mass influx of radical Muslims into its voting population, Israel turns into an Islamic state, all the Jews are killed or pushed into the sea. Everybody knows that this is the case. Now, I was asked a question last night at University of Florida. I spoke there last night and some girl got up there and she said, well, why, why shouldn't there be like a binational state? And I said to her, okay, you look like a, a nice young liberal woman. There are 330 million Americans. Should the United States, for the sake of open borders, liberalism and cultural diversity, import from the Middle East some 300 million Middle Eastern radical Muslim men and women to vote. W would that be a good, would you be in favor of that? And she obviously said no, or avoided the question because that's what Rashida Tlaib is asking for. And we know why she's asking for that, of course. Right. And Rashida Tlaib is a Jew hater. We all know this. This is not a giant shock. Ilhan Omar is a Jew hater. AOC is, is an adjunct to the Jew haters. And the only, the only reason I'm not calling her an, a Jew hater outright, AOC, is simply because I think she's too stupid to even understand what she's doing. That lady has the IQ of a kumquat. Yeah, well, we've played a bunch of clips in the last week of her. Just she has no idea what she's saying in terms of the history, the reality, the geopolitics, or anything else. But what do you think we do? I mean, I think most people, again, if we go back to those percentages that you were laying out earlier, most people know that Rashida Tlaib is not uh, a congresswoman because of her love of America. Uh, she announced she was going to try to, you know, um, impeach Donald Trump the day he was elected. I mean, that's slight difference from what we're talking about right now. But the point is, she is going out of her way to support a foreign terrorist organization. Like, what is our legal recourse here beyond just that? Hopefully, the people of Dearborn get rid of her, which likely they are not going to do. Yeah, like, at I mean, what point the, do you at what point do you cross a threshold where we know that you know we've got the wolves in the hen house? Well, I mean, at this point, I mean, it's pretty obvious that there are a lot of wolves in the hen house. The only question is how many. Uh, as far as what, what has to happen, I mean, Congress should expel Rashid Tlaib. She's a Hamas supporter. I, I, I seem unaware of any regulation that requires Congress to keep among its members somebody who overtly supports terrorist groups that, that burn babies, rape women, and kidnap literal, literal infants. It seems to me that that's a pretty good reason for everybody in the House to unite in expelling Rashida Tlaib. I mean, that, that, 
that seems baseline to me. The fact the Democratic Party won't do it is, again, that goes back to their addiction to the intersectional coalition politics. They're, they're afraid that if they do that, well, they may lose a chunk of that intersectional coalition. So you got to keep the terror supporter around here. And we'll say some words about her. We'll say that she's bad and she, we'll say that she's mean. But we won't do the one thing that actually would make sense, which is the person who supports Hamas probably should not be sitting in the United States Congress. So I want to shift to the president of the United States because he went to Israel yesterday. And I think his statement when he gave his first statement was actually pretty good. I think it was nice that he showed up to, to support Israel, obviously. Uh, but here's a portion of uh, his speech that went a little sideways. Today, I'm also announcing $100 million in new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank. This money will support more than one million displaced and conflict-affected Palestinians, including emergency needs in Gaza. A hundred million to Gaza and the West Bank. Let's let's talk about them separately for a second. So first off, the idea that you're giving money to Gaza means you're giving money to Hamas. There is no other ruling party. There is no other people that take the money and fungibly dispense it. Um, this doesn't seem like a great idea. And then we'll do the West Bank separately. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a horrible idea. And my favorite statement about this was Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, who said, yeah, we're going to give a bunch of aid to, to Gaza. And if it's hijacked by Hamas, we will be the first to condemn it. It's like, well, that, that's a, <laughs> thank you. Thanks. That's, that's awesome, dude. Really appreciate it. Well, that's like fungible money. Iran money, right? It's, it's the same thing, right? We'll it's give ridiculous. you money. It's, it's, to it's totally ridiculous. It's absolutely yeah. ridiculous on its face. I understand the geopolitics of what Biden is trying to do here. What he's trying to do is he's trying to create a coalition of Arab governments that are going to have some say in the Gaza Strip and attempt to get Hamas to turn over the terrorists and then, and then take expulsion to Qatar or something. Yeah. in return for, for ending the, the current conflict. I think that's what he's probably trying to do to put the best possible gloss on it is, well, you know, if, if, I, if America does this, then you can see that we're acting with goodwill. Jordan will come to the table. Egypt will come to the table. We'll cut some sort of deal over who gets to run Gaza after all of this is over. The hostages get turned over. Happy ending for everybody except for the 1,500 dead Jews. Uh, that, that would be, uh, I think, what, what Biden is probably trying to do right there. That's like the best interpretation. Also, why would you possibly give $100 million to terrorists? I mean, it's just, it's, it, again, it's part and parcel of this idiocy inside the Biden administration that you can pay off your enemies and suddenly they become your friends because they're eager for the cash. Or alternatively, Hamas just proved that they would spend 20 years taking every dollar poured into the Gaza Strip, mm -hmm. billions and billions and billions of dollars. And instead of actually helping their people, they poisoned the aquifer. They took all of the water pipes and turned them into rockets. They took all of the cement and built it into terror tunnels. They built electricity and water for, you know, the guys who are hiding underground right now, but nothing for the people above ground. And then, what, you're going to throw more money at that? So, I mean, that, that's the situation in, in the Gaza Strip. When it comes to the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria, giving, again, the question is giving money to whom? The Palestinian Authority is going to pay $3 million in stipends, to the, in grants, to the families of the Hamas terrorists who committed these murders. They're still yeah, pay for which they've been doing, inside yeah. the Palestinian Authority. Not, not only that, Palestinian Islamic Jihad is the other governing party in the so-called West Bank. They just fired a rocket that killed a bunch of people at a hospital, supposedly. So why, where, where exactly is that money going? Again, one of the biggest problems here, and this is the problem that Israel faces on, on all fronts, and this is why this is an existential crisis. If Israel does not take out Hamas successfully, that is going to embolden terror groups in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, to then commit acts of terror against Jews throughout the state of Israel. Israel is a tiny country. People do people have never been there, do not understand what we are talking about when you say things like, this is an existential threat, because they think, well, America's giant and large. I mean, if there was something mm -hmm. that happened in New Jersey, would that necessarily affect me in Florida? Israel, in certain places, is nine miles wide, literally nine miles wide. Tulkarm, which is the site of an ongoing operation by Israeli police to stop terrorist organization, is located like eight and a half miles from the Mediterranean Ocean. 
Right now, Israel is facing an existential threat on its northern border as well from Hezbollah, which has 150,000 rockets minimum pointed at the north and center of Israel. These are highly sophisticated rockets. These are not the dumb bombs that Hamas has been sending into Israel. The early estimates are that if if Hezbollah were to get in full scale, it wouldn't be 1,500 Jews. That would be 20,000 Jews yeah. dead in like the first week of a conflict. So the notion that Israel, yeah, that, that we should be number one signing checks to anybody who is in league with Hamas or who's giving money to Hamas or who's sympathetic to Hamas is totally insane. And then the notion that Israel should not be able to finish off Hamas is going to be so damaging for Israel because, again, the reason Israel has been able to maintain its presence in the Middle East is because there is only one coin of the realm in the Middle East in that strength. It's the only coin of the realm. There's no such thing as moral suasion. There's no such thing as mutual forgiveness and kindness. That is not a thing that happens. The reason that Israel exists there is because of the perception of Israel's military invulnerability. Israel does have an incredibly strong military, but what happened on October 7th punctures the notion that Israel is impregnable. And that is something Israel is going to have to reestablish in short order, or it's going to be tested again and again and again. Ben, I'm going to have my guys put the map up again, because I'm glad you mentioned the size, because I know people are confused about the politics around this area. Uh, but it's also the tiny size, as you're saying, nine miles wide, if you don't include the West Bank there, as people can see where Tel Aviv is. But the other point that I've been trying to make, and I, I've been literally making this point for years, when, and I'm not the only one, obviously, when, when these outbreaks happen with Hamas. Can we go back to the map one more time? If you look at the southern tip of Gaza there, there is a massive border with Egypt. That's Sinai next to it. Sinai is way bigger than all of Israel put together. Uh, it seems odd to me that nobody in the international community is calling on Egypt to just open their borders, stop those crazy genocidal Jews from killing all the Palestinians, and let them move to Sinai where basically nobody lives. And by the way, Israel gave Sinai back to Egypt in the name of peace, which they've based, you know, had in essence for a couple decades now. Israel tried to give Gaza back to Egypt. And Egypt said, hell no, we want no peace of Gaza. Israel, by the way, has tried to give back control of, for example, cities like Jenin to Jordan. And Jordan's like, we don't want these people. Are you out of your mind? Every time they go into any country, they then destabilize the regime. I mean, it's very easy to forget, but Jordan itself expelled 20,000 Palestinians and killed 3,000 Palestinians in 1970 because mm -hmm. the population was so radicalized. That population then ended up moving to Lebanon where they completely destabilized a Christian state and turned it into an Islamic state under the auspices of the Iranian government and Hezbollah. I mean, it's, it, there's a reason why Egypt does not want this to happen. There are 21 Muslim countries in this immediate precinct and all of them have come out in favor of the Palestinian refugees and none of them have said they will accept a single Palestinian refugee. And that is for two reasons. One, they want the Palestinian refugees to continue to be a weapon to be used against Israel. And two, they don't want those Palestinian refugees in their country. I mean, people forget that in the Syrian conflict, there are millions and millions and millions of Syrians who moved abroad. They're not asking to go back to Syria because it turns out that Syria is a horrible place to live. 3.5 million Syrians left Syria and ended up in Turkey during the, during the Syrian conflict. Mm -hmm. they, they, Turkey has talked about pushing them back into Syria. They're not doing it. They're, they're still living there. And they, but when it comes to the Palestinians in, in the Gaza Strip, many of whom, by the way, do support Hamas, that doesn't mean that they deserve what's happening to them, but it does mean that to pretend that this is a governable population that is moderate in nature, that is not true. There's no evidence to, to suggest that that is the case. Whatever happens next is gonna have to require the involvement of the Arab states surrounding. And if it doesn't, then this conflict becomes intractable. And it, it just shows you the, the kind of challenge that Israel faces. Again, Israel got out of the Gaza Strip because it did not want to govern the Gaza Strip in 2005. It didn't want to govern it so much that it let a, a terrorist group run the place for 20 years. And then when that backfired, now Israel is forced back into it. And now they're being told by the Arab states that they're not doing enough to save civilians. It's unbelievable. Is the other part of this related to the immigration thing? And you mentioned how many Syrians are in Turkey, but the amount of people that we know that have now come to Germany and to France and to England, and you see that reflected in these insane Hamas protests, 
Um, is the next step on this? I mean, Jamal Bowman the other day said we should start talking about taking in Gazan refugees. I'm very proud to live in the free state of Florida, as everyone knows, where Ron DeSantis has said we should take in zero. That's it, zero, not one more. Um, but doesn't it feel like that'll be the next move by the Democrats? We, we need to take in 100,000 of these people? It would not be shocking to me at all if Democrats start calling for that sort of stuff outright. I mean, they, they did so during the Syrian conflict. And when Donald Trump said, well, we haven't vetted any of these people, nor could we vet any of these people, they immediately called him a racist because to mm -hmm. even point out that there may be some, you know, cultural differences between impoverished, radical Muslims living in Syria and Americans, that, 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 that's, that's a bridge too far. And it doesn't matter that you now have entrenched radical Muslim centers in places like London, in places like Sweden, in places like Germany. Well, we're supposed to ignore the evidence of our own eyes and ears. Instead, it's very, very offensive if Ron DeSantis points out that the Palestinian population in the Gaza Strip is anti-Semitic. I mean, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the population of the Gaza Strip is anti-Semitic because they've been indoctrinated for several generations in why the Jews are evil. I mean, they literally play it to small children. They have TV shows that are fully yep. produced with Mickey Mouse knockoffs telling kids to kill Jews. So again, it's the West seeking to blind its own eyes. I don't think America is going to do something like that. I think even Joe Biden has enough brain cells left to understand that, that would be a horrible political move for him. But if there is a call for that, it's coming from the exact same place that we were talking about earlier, this sort of peculiar Western narcissism that either believes that everyone thinks like us or from the coalitional left that says, okay, well, we can import these people and sure, they hate American values, but hell, so do we, so that, that's all right. All right, we've only got a couple of minutes left because uh, you're, you're a busy guy. You do, you do a show on the internet or something? What is it that you do all day? You do something, right? Um, but you mentioned Joe Biden and the brain cells. Here he is on Air Force One. I think this was leaving Israel. It's Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, behind him. And, and just, just watch this. Virtually every mass shooting, every circumstance where a large number of people have been victimized and lost, I spoke to them. I learned a long time ago what you've all learned in your life. When someone's going through something, it's beyond their comprehension that they never thought they'd have to go through. If they see someone who they think understands or maybe they took something not the same but similar, it gives them some sense of hope. And I always get criticized sometimes on my staff because when I go to these events, I stay for three or four hours and answer all their questions. All right, Ben, we only got about five minutes left, so I don't think we have to go into all the obvious stuff about his cognitive uh, impairment. But the specifics of seeing him in that situation and blinking behind him clearly like, oh, no, here we go. And then, you know, they just want to pull him away from the media. In some ways, is that what this is all about? He represents just a deeply weak America and everyone knows it. And again, I don't want to be hypercritical of him in this moment because I think they've basically been good, but, but that he's, the, he's the, um, the avatar for everything that's wrong right now. I mean, listen, they spent years trying to make nice with, with Iran. They sent hundreds of millions of dollars to the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. And right now he's trying correctly to present a deterrent to Hezbollah getting in, to Iran getting in, to this turning into a regional war. And there's only one big question in everybody's mind, which is how credible is that threat? And in order to make a credible threat that if you get in, we will get in and we'll squash you like a bug, you can't look weak. And it's very difficult when the face to that is a person who obviously looks physically impaired. I mean, Joe, Joe Biden looks weak. He looks like he can barely speak at this point. And again, I, I'm like you. I, I think that 
the, the moves he's making overall right now are correct. Putting the aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean to basically say to Hezbollah, stay out so Israel can do what it needs to do. That is the correct move to prevent regional war. There are a lot of kind of isolationists out there who are like, well, that, isn't that going to get us into World War III? No, what will get us into World War III is if Hezbollah gets in and then Syria gets in and then Iran gets in and then Israel has to retaliate with everything it has and then Russia gets in in order to protect Iran. That, that sort of chain of events is very easy to foresee. What stops all of that is America saying, don't go, don't cross this line because if you do, we're going to smack you like a bug. The question is whether people actually believe that from Joe Biden. And that is a really, really open question. This is the same guy who cut and ran from Afghanistan. This is the same person who, again, was trying to make nice with the Iranians five seconds ago and was trying to hand them $6 billion and pretending that it wasn't fungible. And, and that's the person who is having very, a very difficult time physically even keeping up with the demands of the job. So listen, I hope that he's stalwart and I hope that it's not a bluff, but I think that there are a lot of people who are asking whether it is and you can see why. Ben, we've been at this game together in one degree or another for a long time. It, I, it should not be another two years before we do this publicly, but uh, I think when we sat down once, maybe the first time, you said something to me. I, I was an atheist at the time, and you you were trying to bring me over to to the the believer side of things, to God and everything else. And I have to say, I'm, I'm more of a believer, and I've been trying to talk to God a little bit more and listening to what He might be saying than ever before in these in these crazy times. So I thank you, my friend, and and I hope to see you soon. Now hang in there. I appreciate it. All right, guys, I'm just going to finish up for, for a couple of minutes. I've actually got nothing else on the notes or anything else. Uh, but I, I felt like having Ben on was kind of the right, the right move today. You know, one of the other things that's kind of going on here beyond the, the, the obvious stuff that we just discussed, did all the, the geopolitics and the protests and the craziness and the just the cultural rot that has led to all of this is that it is getting harder and harder. And I, it's why I'm feeling like this, like, I always feel a certain pressure, I suppose, to, to tell you the truth and to not lie about things and to be clear and try to see what my weak spots are and not suffer from audience capture. You know, one of the interesting things is, you remember like a month ago on this show for a couple days in a row, I kept saying how I was worried about audience capture. This is something that I think a lot of guys who do something like I do, and there are obviously hundreds or thousands of us at this point to choose from, uh, can get captured by. The, this, the idea that, oh, your audience thinks a certain thing, and if you keep going to that thing, your audience will grow, or they will love you more, or they will donate more money, or they will click more, or share more, or whatever. And then in some ways that feeds the craziness, right? Because you can always go to the base, and maybe going to the base all the time isn't the best thing, because it's not the truest thing, and it's not, it's not really what's right. It's just, it's just red meat for everybody. And about a month ago, I had a week having nothing to do with any of this. It was before all this, where I kept thinking about that a lot. It was just on my mind in general. I wanted to make sure that even if we were to look at it through the context of the Trump and DeSantis thing, I think that's how I was really talking about it. Like, obviously, I think DeSantis would be the next best president of the United States. Uh, but I didn't want, and I knew that some of my audience was angry at me over that. Um, but I wanted to just keep telling people what I believe to be true, and then you can tune in and or not tune in, and you can be pissed at me, or you can like what I do, or, or anything else. But in some ways, the, the Trump DeSantis thing seems like you know yesterday's news altogether. It obviously won't be much longer. Uh, but we have a much bigger problem right now that I, I'm finding it very difficult to find people 
um, that I can watch that I think are trying to make some decent sense of all this. Obviously, I think Ben is one of those people. I think Megyn Kelly has really shined, as I mentioned. I think Dan, Dan Bongino has done an absolutely great job. I hope that you guys think that I'm doing a pre, pretty decent job of this and, and, and that you will continue to call me out if I have blind spots or if I lie to you or if a bomb goes off and I tell you it was them and it turned out to be the other guys that the next day I'm not gonna go on the show and lie about it like Rashida Tlaib was standing in front of the Capitol knowing that she was just repeating another lie. Uh, so we, we got a whole host of problems, guys. Um, but humans have been through worse. Humans have been through all sorts of stuff, right? We've been through medieval times and we've been through the Holocaust and we've been through world wars and genocides and all of those things. And I guess what the weird thing is now is that we live in such comfort in the West that it's sort of what Ben was talking about. Like, we, it's hard for us to really understand that there are people out there that really, really don't like us, that really don't like our diversity of thought, right? They don't like that people might live next door to people who think differently than them or are a different religion or have some other traditions than they have. And, and it's hard to really understand that they could be on the march, and yet they seem like they are on the march. So the question for all of us is, what will we do to defend the United States? What will we do to defend the ideas that have become, that, that are the jealousy of the world, right? It's why everybody still wants to come here and nobody's leaving. Why, well, we've got these open borders, no one's going the other way, right? Like there aren't long lines of people trying to get into Mexico or Canada, they're all trying to get in. Right, And we really should think about that and figure out how, whatever you can do in your life, I think it probably starts with spreading a little bit of truth about some of this stuff, because I think we've laid out here, and I've been trying to lay out for the last two weeks, why this isn't just about this little country in a, in a weird little place that's a, that is a desert somewhere that they made bloom. It's not just about that, it's, it's, much, it's much bigger. It's about whether the West will decide to stand up for itself or not. That remains to be seen. Uh, all right, we got a post-game show coming up at rubenreport.locals.com, and uh, we've got a day full of stuff, if I'm not mistaken. What else is happening? Oh, tomorrow, you know, so one of the things I want, I didn't want to do just purely like, again, what happened in the Middle East and how many bombs went off and everything else. I didn't want to do that uh, for the round table this week, so I wanted to do what I did a little bit there with Ben, which was connecting this to the wider woke thing and how it's obvious, it obviously was going to lead to where we are at right now. So James Lindsay, who you guys all know, who, who's been on the show many times, uh, who's been probably the premier thinker in terms of laying out what the goals of the woke left, the modern racists and, and the gender, the gender confusing people are, what their plans are. We've got James Lindsay on and Melissa Chen, my friend Melissa Chen, who's also been really at the forefront of, of kind of distilling this evil and showing us that uh, perhaps there's a better way. So they'll be on the show tomorrow, post-game show, in about 37 seconds, 37 seconds. Connor, we're gonna hold out for an, ever, an extra seven seconds. Can you do that for me? RubenReport.locals.com. All right, thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. 
Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubenreport.locals.com.